Hey guys, this is Drake. Thanks so much for tuning in to our City Church podcast here. It's an honor to have you. Hey, at the end of this episode, we'd love for you to take a moment, subscribe to this podcast channel if you haven't already. Also subscribe to our YouTube channel so we can continue to serve you with content that we're putting out on a weekly basis. And in addition, if we can serve you in any way or connect with you in community in any way, you can visit our website at citychurchboulder.com and we would love to connect with you there. And lastly, and most importantly, I hope this content is helpful to you. It's encouraging, it's inspiring, and you leave better than you showed up. Enjoy. You guys glad to be here? I'm so glad you're here. My name is Drake. I'm the pastor here. It's an honor to be gathering with you. Can we put our hands together for our acoustic set band today? Come on, crushing it. Got me crying in my seat over here. And also, Maddie was on the screen today, for those of you that don't Maddie, because today she is in City Kids teaching for the first time. Put your hands together for Maddie, loving on our big kids today. So, so cool. Hey, my name is Drake. I'm the pastor here. It's an honor to have you gathering with us today. We are in our second week in a brand new series called Text and Call. It's a little bit of play on words, dealing with uh, scripture and then what that can mean for our lives and really wrestling with some of the really big, hard questions around the Bible and maybe your experience or lack thereof. And, and so we're walking through a lot of different things over the next couple of weeks. I'm going to kind of catch you up just for a second. Last week, we, we really wrestled with the big question, can we trust the Bible. And I don't know your experience with the Bible, the, your relationship with the Bible, your kind of experience even with church or religion or with Jesus altogether. I, I don't even know where you're walking in on your spiritual journey today, but let me just make sure you understand no matter where you find yourself on your spiritual journey today, you are loved, safe, and welcome here. Our desire, our mission is to help you find your way to God from where you are. And so our desire is to meet you where you are and simply help you take a next step today. But again, last week we, we wrestled with this really big question. Can we trust the Bible? And not like because the Bible says, and we talked about, you know, the Bible says, your grandma says, that doesn't really, you know, carry a lot of authority for a lot of people, especially like in a post-Christian climate in, in, in Boulder, Colorado, or maybe, you know, you grew up in and around the church, but, you know, you find hard questions and people, you know, you go to college in your freshman year, things are getting debunked and, you know, the Bible says it, that settles it, didn't quite settle it when you got into your adult years. And so you're like, man, how does my childhood faith survive under the adulthood rigors? Or, you know, maybe you've never kind of crossed the line of faith. Maybe you've been kind of skeptical about Jesus, faith, church, religion, all of that stuff. And you're like, man, I don't really know where I land and, and what is our relationship to the Bible. So last week, we, we did a lot of work. I highly recommend you go back, pick it up on our YouTube channel, our, our, our podcast on our website. All of that stuff is really, really helpful. We did some foundational work for this series, and part of the foundational work we did was we talked a lot about posture, that we could come at this conversation from a lot of different angles, and, and there's lots of space. We're not afraid of hard questions and conversations here at City Church. Um, but we, we said, hey, what if we, we didn't show up as, as critics just ready, you know, to throw rocks and pick it apart and, 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 and uh, you know, kind of just ready with the heart posture of a critical nature. But also, what if we don't show up as defendants on the other end, like, no matter what, I'm going to make sure this thing survives this conversation. But rather, what if we showed up as apprentices, that, that to follow Jesus is to apprentice under Jesus. And so what we did is we, we took some time last week, and we looked at Jesus and his approach to 
the scriptures, which was actually really fascinating. I've been following Jesus since I was 15 years old, and, and this conversation that we're in over the next couple of weeks might be some of the, the most incredible and encouraging information that is in a new light for me that I've never personally had. And so as always, I'm on this journey with you. Right? I went to Bible college. I, I got my master's in theology. Right? I, I, I've got all of that in my head, but sometimes it doesn't like, translate over to like the hard stuff, right? And so what's amazing is as we walk through this, we're really just dealing with what's in front of us. And so we also acknowledged last week, there's just some like weird stuff in the Bible, right? Like, can we just be real about that? There's some weird things in the Bible, especially when you get into that like first section, that Old Testament section. Me and Daniel, one of our staff members, we we joke often like in the Old Testament, you'll see a lot of promises surrounded with this statement, put your hand under my thigh and promise me. So we're like, hey, what if we like brought that back? Like every, you know, every transaction you do on Facebook market, put your hand under my thigh and promise me. Is that weird? That's pretty weird, right? Like, so, you know, maybe a handshake or a high five is fine. No hands under the thighs today. We're not that kind of church, okay? Uh, uh, but the other one, like, you know, in New Testament stuff, there's like, hey, what about greeting each other with a holy kiss? I'm not trying to bring that one back, guys. I'm like, come on, let's, no, you're not feeling it? Okay, all right, that's good. Just my wife. That, we'll keep it there, right? So there's some stuff you're like, okay, well, what about like head coverings? And what about tattoos? And what about, you know, we got all these different things that, just kind of get ignored, and when they're brought up, you're like, oh, you know, <laughs> just, what are we talking about? <laughs> and so, so we have some stuff in the Bible that's challenging, and so today, again, this, this series is going to accomplish a lot of things over the course of five weeks, and so you got to kind of stay tuned and lean in. I can't answer everything in a day, nor will I answer everything throughout the whole series. In fact, I might just raise more questions than answers for you. You're welcome. Um, I'm definitely going to offend somebody, so that's the good news, right? What, so, so today, um, by the way, if you're not offended, you're not doing it right. I'm offended by, by what we're talking about. So today we're wrestling with what is the Bible and then what is it for? So, so last week we kind of just wrestled with Jesus' position on it. And can we trust the Bible? And we let it on, okay, if we can trust Jesus, then there's a good chance that we can lean into the scriptures and play it backwards that way. But today, what is it? And, um, and then next week we're going to deal with some harder stuff, some of the really big hard questions. We're going to deal with this really dirty word, this word authority. Ooh. Right? Like, I know we don't like that word, but we're going to deal with it. Like, what does that mean? Like, if the Bible is authoritative, whatever that means, uh, what, what does that mean? And, and then if it is authoritative, then how do we know, like, what to obey and what to ignore as followers of Jesus? Like, oh, seriously, what about tattoos? Someone brought that up this week in our city group. Or like, what about women in head coverings? All you sinners without your head coverings. Men in long hair. It's a joke, guys. It's a joke. I'd never call you a sinner. Maybe I would. All right. What about bacon? Bacon. God, I was, that, that's a bad day. We've we got to follow like some of the, the food laws. Bacon. So we've got we to gotta wrestle with some of the hard stuff in the scriptures. Like, does it apply to us? Does it not? How do we know? Do you pick and choose? Is it based on the church you go to? Like, you know, this church down here, we're all about bacon, but down the street, no bacon for them. How does it work, right? So we're going to deal with all the hard stuff. But today we're going to start with some history. There's this guy named William Tin. You guys having fun yet? I'm really funny up here. It doesn't always come out on the other end. I don't get paid for my jokes, okay? So William Tyndale, you guys heard of this guy, William Tyndale? He was a linguist uh, at Cambridge uh, in the, like the 1500s, and um, he, he read for the first time um, the Bible in its like original languages of Hebrew and Greek. And so for William Tyndale being a, a linguist, he was able to read the scriptures for the first time, which even many like the Catholic Church, many of the priests, if you will, even they couldn't read the Bible. In, in their own language. And so it was a really big deal. 1500s, during the Reformation, William Tyndale, as a linguist at Cambridge, picks up the Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, Hebrew and Greek scriptures, reads it in the original language, and he comes to two 
amazing conclusions that have a massive impact on his day and ours. The first one was this, as he read it in its original language. He says the Bible should function as authority. And when using that word, again, we're going to define it next week a little better, but, but kind of like an access point into reality itself. Okay, not like authority, like I got a badge, I'm going to tell you what to do, rights and wrongs, rules and regulations, but authority as in an access point into real, true life. And, and what he meant by that is that the Pope, not, not the Pope and not tradition, functions as authority for Jesus' followers. So his first conclusion after reading the scriptures in their original language was, whoa, we're way off. The Bible should function as authority, not the Pope, not tradition. And his second conclusion was that every follower of Jesus should have access to the Bible in their own language. And for that, he was burned alive at the stake and called a heretic. But before he was, he was murdered by King Henry VIII, he fled to Germany, where he translated the Bible into English, and then he, he made roughly 16,000 copies of a, a, a translation that, was, that he could put in the hands of the people, brought them back to England. They became outlawed, King Henry got his hands on, I think, roughly 6,000 of them and burned them on the steps of the main church in England. And when they finally got him through some betrayal, they burned him alive. And, and, and it just kind of like brings me to my, my brain is like, wow, <laughs> like that's, that's a long way from where we are today. And, and what you don't know is like a, a large portion of maybe the Bible sitting in your lap or there's Bibles in, in, the, in the seat backs in front of you or on your phone, a large portion of that still comes from his original efforts and translations. He's been called the father of modern English, not just because of his work in the Bible, but English in general. And so it, it kind of leans me to questions like, what is it about this library of, of books, this Bible that you and I have that has caused people to willingly suffer and die so that you and I could have access to it? What is it that has caused uh, uh, leaders to, to be willing to torture and kill in an effort to keep it out of the hands of you and I and of the, of the normal people? What is it about this, this library of books that is both a threat to those in power and yet simultaneously absolutely compelling when we start to lean into it? It's a question worth asking. And so again, when we ask, what is the Bible? we got to consider, it's more than just a book that you can pick up at Barnes & Noble. <laughs> but maybe there's something more to it. So let's, let's go to Jesus first. Luke chapter 4, let me show you on the screen. You can pick up your Bible, use them in the, in the seat backs in front of you. Those are gifts for you. You can use your phone, wherever you want to lean in. But this is Jesus wrestling with um, the scriptures. This is the scroll of Isaiah from the Old Testament. So Jesus returns from the wilderness and the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he'd been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, which is, by the way, because Jesus had this kind of regular rhythm. We model our lives after Jesus. We see this in the early church. Jesus' custom was to gather weekly. We do that as well. That's why we gather on a Sunday, okay? Uh, and he moved from a Saturday, which was Sabbath to Sunday, because of, of the resurrection. But it was his custom to do so, and he stood up to read. And again, we talked about this. Jesus is a rabbi. He's a teacher, so he's in the synagogue, and he stands up to read, and he takes out the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. So I, I just need you to like wrap your brains around what's happening, like pulling out a scroll and unrolling some parchment and finding the place that he's going to read. You and I, you know, you have this one solid bound book or an app on your phone that you dig into the Bible. But again, these are a library of readings. And so he picks up the scroll of Isaiah. He un unrolls it and finds the place where it was written. He goes on. 
The Spirit of the Lord, Jesus reads, is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering the sight of the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So Jesus is reading this 8th century B.C mix of, of poetry in the book of Isaiah in front of everyone. He rolls it up, gives it back to the attendant, sits down as was like the custom of the teacher when they're getting ready to teach. And everyone in the synagogue, their eyes were fixed on him. Can you imagine? Like, <laughs> I, I mean, it's Jesus. He's already got a little bit of street cred going on, but everybody is eyes locked on what he's about to say next. And he, he begins to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth in that setting. But we find out later the religious leaders of the day actually are figuring out how to kill him, which they will succeed. And in this moment, I just need you to catch, what what is Jesus doing? Jesus picks up the scroll of Isaiah, which is from his Bible, his scriptures, the Old Testament that you and I have today, and he looks at it as authoritative, but he also looks at this 8th century BC prophecy and poem mix as if it's a story that is waiting for a climax. And he looks at everyone in the room at this story in Isaiah, and he says, I am the climax of this story. We talked about that word fulfillment last week, of I am the fulfillment of the thing that you are reading, which is so different from how many of us and many of us have been taught to approach the scriptures and the Bible, which is like, let's show up for a little bit of devotional for me. How do I make my Monday better? Jesus approaches it as story, and he is the fulfillment, the apex of that story. And again, we're asking the question, what is the Bible? So here's our working definition of the Bible. The Bible is a library of writings that are both divine and human, that together tell a unified story that leads us to Jesus. Now, we're, we're going to break this down, but let me just sit with me in these words for a second. I pulled a lot of different definitions and a lot of really smart people, way smarter than me, to give you this. But we're going to kind of break it down and talk about these pieces. The Bible, as you and I know it today, the scriptures, is a library of writings that are both divine and human, that together tell a unified story that leads us to Jesus. So let's just kind of take some time and and parse this out, okay? A library. The Bible never calls itself the Bible. I don't know if you knew that, right? It's not a book, even though you and I have it bound as such. It was multiple scrolls laid out. So if you and I could look at the Bible, like just with our eyeballs, I have this thing, it's called a scripture journal. In fact, we're about to go through a series in Nehemiah over the summer to kind of piggyback off of this series. So in the Old Testament, we're going to walk through this and you can get just the book of Nehemiah, which is like just a bitty little journal. So I have like the entire New Testament, but each in new books. I should have brought it today and showed you. But you can like just lay them all out right here. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the epistles over here, Romans and Revelation. And let's just lay them all out. And that's not including the, the Old Testament. It, it's not a book. It's a library. And so I, I want you to think about it. You, you walk into a library di- very differently than you pick up a book, don't you? But how many of you have been taught to just pick up the Bible? I was talking to somebody this week. They were like, oh, man, I, I've tried to read the Bible over and over again. I get to Genesis 1. And I'm like, all right, here we go. And you get to Genesis 7. You're like, I'm out. Just <laughs> game over. I'm already lost. And if you make it through generous, well done. G- Genesis, then well done. But then you're, you're gone after that. It gets rough, right? And you're like, all right, what's happening? You and I have different approaches to the way we walk into a library versus how we pick up a book. A, a book has one author. A library has what? Many. 
A book has one genre. A library has many. A book has, uh, you know, one timeline, and a a library is going to have books written across a a large timeline. There's a reason that that we approach different literature in different ways, right? And you know that. If you know what kind of genre you're picking up, you pick it up differently. There's a reason that you don't snuggle up on the couch with a good cup of coffee and your microwave manual, right? Like, hmm, how do I reset the clock, right? Or or there's a reason that you don't get a highlighter and a a notebook and a pen and sit down with a sci-fi novel. And you're like, all right, let's get into this right here. Unless you just don't like it and you want to tear it apart. But like, right, you, you have different postures toward different genres, don't you? Different books have different genres, but here's the reality. Different genres still represent truth. Just because they're different doesn't mean they don't carry truth. There's just a different posture in order to get to that truth. So according to the question, we're just talking about what is the Bible? Well, first of all, it's a library. And how do you read the Bible? Some people will use the language, hey, do you read it like literally? Like Genesis 1, six, seven days of creation. And, you know, do you read the Bible literally? And a lot of people want to lean, yeah, 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 we read it literally, except for when it's not literal. For poems and stuff, and you know, oh wait, wait, wait. and so uh, John Mark Homer and the guys at the Bible Project—they say we don't li- read the Bible literally; we read the Bible literarily. And I was like, ooh, clever! I didn't even know I could say that out loud and not mess it up. So we read the Bible literarily. I, I love that. Uh, again, there's different genres, and so again, uh, first of this definition, it's a library of writings that are both divine and human. Last week I gave you this from from G- uh, Jesus talking about David in Mark 12. Let me show you this. Uh, um, this is just a summary. Jesus is teaching, talking to some religious leaders. He's teaching in the temple again, and he said, quoting David from the Psalms, David himself in the Holy Spirit declared. And so we, we looked last week at a bunch of different spaces where Jesus is attributing to his scriptures, his Bible, his Old Testament, both a divine and, and human authorship. And, and it's really unique because Jesus doesn't say, well, you know, David said in his own experience, David said, you know, in his own opinion, you know, David said shooting from the hip. David said just kind of making stuff up, right? Jesus said, David said, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. But also, I want you to notice, right, he didn't talk about David as in, like, he was in this trance, like, and David woke up, and there was drool on the parchment, and there was a word from God. Wow. It's this amazing, divinely human collaboration towards the scriptures. And so this is called uh, what many scholars call the incarnational view, which is also a word we attribute to Jesus, the incarnation of Jesus. And so that means like Jesus was fully God and, and fully man, not like half and half or a mixture of a little bit. You know, Jesus was like, you know, mostly God in a shell or, or he was like 99% human with like a hint of divine, like a limoncello LaCroix, you know what I mean? Like just a hint of, you guys heard like the LaCroix jokes? Like, like a lime LaCroix is like you drinking just water and someone yelling the word lime in another room. Like, right, that's like, that's like what, G, you know, Jesus was like, you know, just a super Buddha or something, right? No, 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 he was fully God and fully man, 100% both. And so that's how we look at the scriptures is fully divine. God breathed, if you will, but also written by human authors. And, and it's also not, listen, I don't know your position. I'm just kind of, what is it, right? That's what we're talking about. Not golden tablets from the sky, Right? It's not like this just amazing, here it is, there you go, fell out of heaven. Right? The Bible never claims that. And, and one of the things we get in trouble with is sometimes we make claims for the Bible that it never claims. And that makes it really hard to defend a house of cards, which we're not, we don't have to do. I'll just give you permission. You don't have to do that. The Bible doesn't hide its humanness. And it also doesn't hide its, its divine and miraculous. It doesn't downplay either. It embraces both of them. Let me show you Peter. 
This is one of Jesus' closest followers. Unbelieved, rejected Jesus, denied he ever knew him. Knew him? He was... <laughs> Never mind. We're just going to keep moving. Ever knew him. And uh, um, then he he, he sees Jesus resurrected and he becomes a leader of of this movement, this cool thing called the church. And so Jesus writing of, uh, I'm sorry, Peter writing of scripture says, no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. As in, you don't, like you would never make this up. The, the st- like, if you're going to kind of formulate something and put it together and make your own religion, you don't, you don't put the stuff in the Bible together. It's, it's terrible. There's a terrible case for that. Like, you don't make it up on your own. It didn't come by human will, he says, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That, that word prophets are these writers he's, he's attributing to. And again, we see this cohesion between the Old and New Testament and Jesus and his position both on his Old Testament scriptures his understanding of his own words as scripture, and then his empowerment of his apostles that he would lead, he would use to lead the early church. And so you kind of put all these pieces together, and, and Peter's using language of like a sailboat catching the wind. You guys see that? Men spoke from God as they were carried along by the wind. Or, or again, we looked at this last week, but Paul uses this, this language in, um, in 2 Timothy. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable. It's helpful for teaching how to live in, in, in reality and true life for rebuke. That is, you know, to, to figure out what we're doing wrong and correction, how to do it right, and training in righteousness, that the man or woman of God might be complete, equipped for every good work. Uh, I, I recommended a book last week by Andrew Wilson, a little short book that's really, really helpful. Um, but he talks about the scriptures in this position of like God breathed as like, a, like an instrument and an instrumentalist. So uh, you guys have a favorite instrument? Like I love music, love, I, like, I can't play everything. I play guitar pretty well, but like I love like saxophone has always been like, I just such a beautiful instrument. Like I played the trumpet in high school and like, you know, it was all right, you know, but like saxophone, man, let's just be honest. It's a little sexy, you know, like Anyway, all right, so, so I, and I remember, I, remember uh, I was at uh, some, some like chapel or something in my Bible college, and there was this guy that picked up a saxophone, and, and like sometimes they would have bands lead worship or whatever, but this time, like this was just guy playing the saxophone. I'm like, okay, cool, like everybody loves a saxophone. And all of a sudden, I found myself like lost in this guy's playing of this incredible, I mean, it was, you ever just had just something move you like, <laughs> You know, just, oh my gosh, like, I, it was so amazing, and you know, I'm crying, and it's beautiful, and, 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 and I'm watching this, and, and you got to ask the question, when you hear someone just play a, 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 an instrument like so beautifully and, and masterfully, you got to ask the question, well, is the music coming from the saxophone or the musician? And the answer is yes. Both. There's an outside influence through the instrument, and it's still kind of engaging with all of its limitations, right? It's still a saxophone. You're not going to get a synth drum beat out of it. All of a sudden, techno drop, you know, like, no, that didn't happen. It's a saxophone. It's got limitations and a ton of potential. So when we talk about Scripture as like this divine human writing, what we're talking about is the Spirit of God working in and through Moses and David and Peter and Paul and Luke. Yes, this makes sense to you? Divinely human, okay? All right, so it's this incredible library, both divine and human, that together tells a unified 
story. So let me give you just genres here for a second, okay? When we're talking about genres, again, together there's this unified effort, so it matters how we read it. So the very simple breakdown is this. The Bible breaks down holistically Old Old and New Testament to roughly 44% narrative, as in story, okay? Everybody loves a good story. 44, it's mostly story. It's 33% poetry, which how many of you guys just were terrible at poetry? And like, that's rough stuff, right? It's hard. And then 23% discourse or teaching. And so you got to ask the question, well, okay, if there's different genres and different approaches to this, well, how do you, how do you obey narrative? How do you obey story? How, how do you, uh, uh, poetry, I mean, I mean uh, it's already hard enough to read it. Like, how do you make something applicable for you. And so, again, it tells a unified story together. Tim Keller talks about it this way. This is a really helpful quote. He says, we normally read the Bible as a series of disconnected stories. We're guilty of that, right? Each with a moral for how we should live our lives. That's what you're looking for, something to help me out on a Monday. He goes on, it is not. (laughs) Just like black and white, it is not. And he goes on, and he says, rather, it, it Uh, comprises a single story telling us how the human race got into its present condition and how God through Jesus Christ has come and will come to put things right. And so so again, it's a story. It's a unified story that intersects with our story. And and you and I, we get in trouble because if you've ever been around the Bible at all, we we just so naturally float toward allegory and we're looking for like, how do we make this work for us? And so kids' bedtime stories and we're like, oh, David and Goliath and what's your Goliath today? And yeah, you're gonna show your boss what's up. He's your Goliath. And you know, we wanna like find these things to make it fit into our lives. And it's like, that's not what the story's about. I mean, sure, fine, write a song and have faith in knocking down your Goliath and stuff. But like, right, like, like there's a point. Like, and so we like, oh yeah, David's a hero. And so we tell our kids, yeah, you're gonna be like David. Except we don't read them the rest of the story at bedtime. <laughs> you know, there's, like, there's some things you should probably leave out of bedtime about David's story. You know, that whole, you know, sleeping with someone else's wife and murdering him and covering it up. And you know, I mean, you know, yeah. good night, son. <laughs> Right? There's, it's funny, right, how we kind of pick and choose because we're looking for a moral when there's a holistic story to all of it. There's parts of David's story that are rough. Or, you know, Jonah, right? My kids love the story of Jonah right now. We've got the action Bible, and it's all, like, comic booked up. And the fish in Jonah is, like, this gnarly-looking thing from the depths of the sea, right? It's not a whale. It's not a fish. It's like a kraken. I don't know. It's, it is intensely-looking scary, and it swallows Jonah. Jonah. My kids are like, oh! It's amazing. We haven't got to any morals. It's just that we're looking at pictures. But like, they're digging it right now. But you're like, okay, well, what's this story tie into the bigger picture? See, there's a deeper story across the entire arc of the scriptures. The, the Bible is very hard to understand at times. Would you agree? <laughs> like, for real. Let me just encourage you with this. All good literature is. All good literature it's hard to understand at times. Which is why most people don't read it, <laughs> right? It's why most people don't pick up Mo- Moby Dick. <laughs> like, nah, I'm out. Like, that is a, that's a big book. How about a podcast, NPR, let's, Netflix, there we go. Tell me the story in a picture, yeah, there we go. All right, so, so we have uh, this unified story, but again, let, let's talk about story for just a second. So there's two kind of plot lines and stories. You guys are familiar with this if you watch any kind of Marvel at all, right? There's like the commercial plot line of Marvel and Lord of the Rings and all the amazing things of like, you know, the, the, the hero gets knocked down and he gets back up and he gets knocked down and he gets back up and Gandalf sacrifices himself on the bridge to save everybody. Oh, Gandalf, right? You have those moments, everybody cries and Gandalf dies. 
And then in number two, he comes back as the white wizard, and you're like, yeah, Dick Gandalf. And, and you know, yeah, if you're not a Lord of the Rings fan, then you can just leave. Okay, I'm just kidding. Um, or, or, you know, you got Sam, who's this noble, trustworthy friend of Frodo, and they're climbing the mountain, and then Frodo betrays him, and Sam's crying, and you're crying, and I'm not crying, and Sam's walking down the mountain, and then right at the end, the spider's about to eat him, and then Sam shows up with white lightning and a sword, and you're not going to eat my friend, Mr. Spider, something like that. Um, I'm doing a great job, right? Like, I should take up acting. It's amazing. Anyway, right, like Spider-Man loses Gwen Stacy and everyone cries. <sighs> Gwen Stacy. Oh. All right, back. All right. And then he loses hope and he abandons his, his career as Spider-Man. And then he shows up again and he's back, right? So that's commercial plot lines over and over again, knocked down, back up, knocked down. Then there's a literary plot line, which is where you just left hanging. <laughs> like the movie ends, you're like, that's it? <laughs> Like, you're just depressed, and there's no conclusion, and you end a book, and it's just over, and there's no resolution, right? A lot of the Bible is not commercial. Actually, I would say none of the Bible is commercial. It's all literary in plot, meaning the book series that we're going to walk through in Nehemiah over the summer, it's a total bummer. I'm just going to set you up, okay? 13 weeks of depression. It's going to be great. It, it ends on, on a low note. David and Goliath, right? David, David's story does not end well. He ends up a grumpy old man sleeping with one of his concubines, angry for revenge, it's not, it's not great. And, and you got to ask the question, well, why, why, why not? Why can't the Bible be commercial? It'd be so much better, Veggie Tales and all that. It'd be great. The reason is because life is not like that. Life is like Nehemiah and Jesus and the apostles and the early church. Life is not a, a Marvel movie. And you know that. Few of us feel like Spider-Man <laughs> or Thor. Well, maybe like Thor in the last movie. <laughs> maybe that Thor. You know, talking about if you guys seen, all right, never mind. You got to go check it out. Thor, Thor gains a little bit of weight. That guy, I can identify with. But, right, the, the Bible's full of barrenness and loss and family conflict and doubt and depression and all kinds of things that are not inspiring. And, and if, here's, here's the reason we're talking about this. If you and I are only used to Marvel and Netflix, then when we show up to the Bible, we have no bearing on how to read it. Does that make sense to you? So if all I'm doing is frame it up. What is it? What is it? It's this incredible library a divine and human writings together that forms a unified story all pointing to Jesus. Don't miss it. Jesus is the center of the scriptures and of life itself. And so when Jesus invites us to follow him, to trust in him, we talked about this last week, to trust Jesus and then therefore as a result, to work backwards and trust the scriptures as a result is to accept an invitation of living into this reality of humanity that is only fully realized in Jesus. That's the invitation. So that, that's what the Bible is, okay? A little bit of a circle back around. We're going to land the plane with what is it for? And this won't take very long, but it's helpful for us to get here. We talked about it. it's not for, for entertainment. It's not even for information, although if you've been around church or the Bible for, for really any time at all, there's been a big push for information because information kind of represents control in our world. But it's not primarily for information, but rather, we talked about it last week, formation into the image of Jesus. We all have a story. You have a story. Who, who are we? Why are we here? What's wrong with the world? What's wrong with me? How do we fix it? They're all story questions. And we all live in that space. 
And most of our life is spent trying to find answers to those questions. We all live by story. So the majority of the scriptures is no mistake, surprise, that it's, it's a story that's meant to intersect our lives and invite us into a different reality. One of my favorite questions is to sit down with somebody and say, tell me your story. Try it this week. Take somebody just one-on-one from your city group, go to coffee, go to lunch, whatever, and just say, tell me your story. And watch what unfolds in that space. What's amazing is don't give any context. Just, just use that, tell me your story, and shut up, which is hard for me to do. But I can do it. And then where they start tells you a lot about how they understand their story. Tim Keller talks about it this way. He, he talks about religion, because you and I have different definitions of that. He says, religion is simply a set of beliefs that, that explain what, what life is all about, who we are, and then the most important things that humans should, should spend their time doing. And so my question for you and I today is very simply, what story are you living by? And here's why this matters. We talked about this in the kind of last 13 weeks of our follower series. The stories that you and I believe determine who we become. And we'll talk about some of the hard stuff. Listen, I know it raises questions and there's more to unpack. We'll keep doing that. But I don't want you to miss this big idea. The Bible, the scriptures as we know it, it's telling a story, but it also is calling into question every other story around us. The Bible gives us an alternative story to live into. And I don't want you to miss this amazing thing. And Kari, why don't you go ahead and come up. And as Kari comes to play and you just kind of reflect on your own story, I don't want you to miss this reality that the scriptures, this story, this alternative story has changed entire cultures, has overthrown entire empires without an army and without aggression. You've got to ask the question. We're not here to overthrow the Boulder government, or, right? We're for our city. We're in it, absolutely. But what if we invite it to tear down our own empires? What if we get introspective and as apprentices for Jesus, we, we, we let it begin to tear down the things in our own hearts and minds, the stories that are out of alignment with reality of who God says that you are and what life is supposed to look like and what healthy relationships play out to be, what matters now and for eternity. What if we let the scriptures tell us an alternative story to where we can start to align our lives with a new and different reality? That's what Jesus came to do. And friends, listen, if if the Bible doesn't offend you in the process, you're reading it wrong. Because there are things out of alignment in our lives that Jesus came to set right. And it's okay to let it be hard and not ignore it. So, as we just Think about your own personal story and lining up with with life that is truly life, this good life that Jesus invites us into. I'm going to give you four ways of reading the Bible, Um, just kind of in light of what we're talking about. So no surprise, if the Bible is story, then large portions is probably helpful at times. Little verses here and there is is like watching the commercial to a movie. Sometimes it's the better option, actually. But more times than not, right, there's more to it. So if you pick and choose, any, meeny, miny, mo, just when you're looking for a little bit of encouragement for your Monday, you miss the story and how it plays into your story and what reality is really like. And so large portions is one way to read the scriptures. Another way is short sections and deep meditation. We'll talk about that next week. And, and study, 
specifically digging into. We'll talk about those, those pieces next week. And then also memorization. Paul says that we are transformed by the renewing of our mind, that we let God's word and his story get into our heart and mind, and it begins to shape our story. So this week, here's what we're doing. If you're in a city group, small portions is fine, and, and a lot of us are doing that. That's great. But this week, we're going to read just a large portion of scriptures together in city group. We're going to sit down with the book of Philippians, read the whole book together, like 15 minutes, the whole scope of the letter. You and I are not an oral culture, so we really struggle, but you got to remember this is how most of it was originally captured. So this is going to be a little, a little hard, but here's why it's important. When you and I sit under story as a whole, it reminds us, whoa, Jesus is the center. Jesus is the center of the scriptures, but he's also the center of life itself. And Jesus wants to be center of my life and of your life. And so then we look at his story and our story and we start to identify this, this, is, this is who we are. This, this is who I am. This is the story that I'm a part of. So that's what we're going to do. We're just going to practice that this week in your groups. If you're not in a city group, check one out. They've got two weeks left. It's a great time to jump in. And then summer semester will kick off. It'll be great. But listen, I, I said this last week and we'll end here. Technique is important. It's great. And it matters how we read genres and all of that. It's great. Posture is more important. Posture is more important. Jesus would end most of his teachings with, for those who have ears to hear, let them hear. As in, those whose hearts are inclined to this new reality, to the kingdom of heaven coming to earth, this way to live fully human. Those who have ears, let them hear. And so you and I have the privilege of sitting under Jesus and the scriptures and God's story and asking, how does that intersect my story? So again, just some reflection stuff. Who... Who and what is shaping your story today? In the, in the culture of achievement and accumulation, most of our stories are shaped by pursuit and identity and what we do with our hands and who people say that we are. Who and what is shaping your story? And listen, if, if you're still working out your relationship with the Bible, I get it. This is safe. Safe place for you. If you're still working out your relationship with the church, I get it. This is a safe place for you. It's not a perfect place for you. This is a safe place for you. If you're still kind of working out your relationship with Jesus, I get it. This is a safe place for you. This is a safe people for you. But let me just encourage you. This, this advice is, kind of goes against the grain, but start with Jesus, not the Bible. And you'll find that working backwards, it's a little more reliable. So if Jesus is at the center of the scriptures and he's at the center of life itself, my question for you today, friends, would be, what's at the center of your story? For most of us, it's just us. We're the center of our story. But a better story is letting Jesus be the center of your story. So let me just pray for us as we close our time together. Will you bow your heads with me? Close your eyes. As you bow your heads and close your eyes, this is just a moment of reflection for you. Not crazy, super spiritual moment. Just kind of removes distraction, lets us focus in our own hearts and minds on what's going on. We ask the question often, what would Jesus do if he were me? 
He lived in my city, had my job, had my family, my relational dynamics, my personality type. What would Jesus do if he were me? So think about your story. You're a parent, you're an engineer, you're an artist, you're single, you're married, you're divorced, you're widowed, you're in college, you're a young professional, you're away from home, this is your home, you've been burned by community, you've been the burner of community, there's broken parts of your story, there's really good parts of your story, just think about your story. Jesus, we want to be humble enough to look at our stories and acknowledge that there's a bigger story, that we are a part of a bigger story, and you invite us into your story. And Jesus, it's amazing that you want to be the center of our story. And all of our efforts of striving and maintaining and kind of making a name for ourselves and all of our efforts of trying to protect and climb to the top, you meet us in that space and you invite us to trust in you instead of ourselves. That as we trust in you, if, if, if you were to be the center of the story, it's actually far better. There's far more grace. There's far more life. There's far more love, there's far more joy, there's far more peace, because we we were created to have you at the center of our story. Jesus, I pray that it's not lost on our hearts and minds that you loved us so much that you didn't leave us guessing, but you actually entered into the middle of our story born fully God and fully man. You lived a perfect life like we can't. You died the death that we deserve for our sin. You were buried and you rose again like we could never do on our own. And you did all of that entering into our story because you love us. And that is this great story. Of God's love for us and would it overwhelm our hearts? And will we respond to the invitation? You're not forcing relationship. You're not forcing trust. You invite us to let you be the center. And you prove yourself trustworthy by giving for us when we did not deserve it in the least. So Jesus, thank you. And for my friends in the room, Anyone in the room who has never trusted Jesus with their life, you've never made the decision, prayed in your heart and mind, Jesus, I want you to be the center of my story. Can I encourage you, friends, today, no matter where you are, that through trusting in Jesus today, praying in your own heart and mind, whether it's out loud or privately and silently, Jesus, I want you to be the center of my life. I surrender. And I thank you for your love. However you would pray that and trust in Jesus to make you new and bring you into his story, I want you to know with confidence today that heaven rejoices in your new relationship with God, and so do we. And we want to help you take some next steps in your relationship with Jesus. For those of us that are followers of Jesus, 
Our stories are not on an island to ourselves, which is why we have the family of God. It's why we have city groups. It's why we serve together. It's why we serve our city. We need each other to understand our story and God's story and how they intersect. It's why we live on mission, where we live, work, and play, that our stories are intersecting with people who are not in the family of God yet. And we have the privilege of asking God, where does all this play out in your story? And joining him in that space. So Jesus, we give you the rest of our time together as we pray, as we sing, as we respond. Would you move in us? If there's anything out of alignment, would you bring it back into alignment, correct and encourage? And then would we leave here realizing that we're a part of the bigger story? And would we, would we own the part that we have? It's in Jesus' name. Amen.